Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I see the fun. I see the fun. The Diary of Jeff Kirkman. I Seem Fun, the Diary of Jen Kirkman podcast, episode 252. This is a special one today. This is a special edition of I Seem Fun where I interview guests. And today we've got Meryl Marco and Megan Keister. And, uh, but I figured I would, you know, when I do these They Seem Fun episodes, I think I will talk a little bit up front so you still get just some you and me time, you know, before it gets so hectic with everyone else on here. But um, yeah, it's really cool. They've got an audio book coming out, or it's out by the time that you hear this. And it's all about the uh, being a woman in every category that you can imagine. Fashion, beauty, politics, religion, sex, since the beginning of time. And I love these. So Audible is doing these these new things. They're audiobooks. So it's it's not just the audio version of a written book that exists. It only exists as an audio book, but it is not a podcast. So yeah, I'm excited to talk to them. Um, I, I think it's great. I think it's great. So I don't know. I haven't had much exciting things going on this week. I, um, my old stomach ache is back. I'm sure it's something, but you know, I'm just dreading going to the doctor. I mean, I love going to doctors. I love getting answers, but I never find with my Western medicine, just, you know, my gynecologist is superb. My, I went to a gastroenterologist once, my vocal doc, like everyone who has a specialty is superb. But when you just go to the doctor, I don't know what they do. You know what I mean? I mean, of course I know what they do. I'm going to get a million emails. This is what they do. But she never listens. And I feel like I've been re- rehearsing in my head over and over. Okay, I have the stomach ache. It's not constipation. It's just, it's gas, but it's painful. But I've never had it before. And I know you're going to, and I know she's going to say it's stress, which was what, listen, I assume everything is stress. That's why I don't go to the doctor until something is going on forever or it, show, it goes away and shows up again. I always assume everything is stress. But I know myself and stress doesn't manifest in my body usually this way because I've been stressed my whole life and this is relatively new. This is a thing I've had for the past month on and off. So I don't think suddenly I've never been stressed until now. I think that this is actually something physical and I think it's dietary and I think it's a lifestyle, but I don't think it's stress. I am stressed trying to rehearse what I'm going to say to my doctor in under 15 seconds before she interrupts to ask me a question that shows she just hasn't been listening. Hi, so I have this stomach thing and it's not lady parts related. It is, it is not PMS. I'm nowhere near my cycle. Uh, it's, it's just intense gripping pain in my stomach. When was your last period? No, it's not my period. 
And so anyway, every time I eat, it feels like I'm swallowing a pile of needles in my stomach. Are you, but I'm not constipated. That's the weird thing. Okay. So you're constipated. No. So I'm just, now I am stressed. I am gripping the microphone. I think I might crack it in half. So that's what I'm, I have to do that sometime this week. By the time you hear this, I don't know, maybe it'll have been last week. Um, but yeah, I had to go to a party for the Emmy Awards on Saturday night. Like my agency has a big party and you think, oh my God, fun. It's just so loud. You're just like shouting. And it's like, it is one of those parties where you're supposed to, you know, if you run into like, oh, there's Tom, he runs Comedy Central. And he's like, what have you been up to? You can't be like nothing. It's like, it's like, I've been acting, I've been producing, I've been writing. Like you have to just give your resume, which normally is an annoying party guest quality. But like at these, you have to do that because it's their chance to sort of see you in a, oh, she's, it's, it's really gross, but it's, it's part of the business. Like nobody knows what you're doing and nobody's thinking of you. So when you go to these parties and you get in front of someone, you let them know what you're doing. You kind of brag for a while. I mean, it's actually not gross because you're not doing it again to uh, a date you're on or a good friend who's like, anyway, so thanks for listening. You know, it's just that my baby's been really sick and you're, how are you doing? I'm producing like, you know, you don't start giving your resume. Um, this, the people you're talking to do not want to hear how you are. They want to talk business. So, you know, business event disguised as a big fun party. I mean, look, they do it up. They did a good job, but it was all the way in Venice, which if you don't live in California, you have no idea what it's like to go from the Valley where I live to Venice or anywhere to Venice. It's just not, it's just not cool to have a party in Venice unless everyone lives on the West side. It's just, you know, one of those things, it's like nobody's driving. So you're going to be drinking, but then now your Uber is like a hundred bucks each way. And Oh, it's a whole thing. But I didn't drink because I had my stomach ache thing. And there's nothing worse than like standing in high heels with a stomach ache. And it's just like, ugh. And I like sort of liked my outfit. It was like this cute hot pink skirt. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I had the stomach thing way worse a couple weeks ago, like to where I couldn't leave the house. But this was like, I can sort of leave the house. But then after an hour or so, I was like, I think I'm going to go. And so, uh, I went, like I ditched the people I came with. I always forget that you got to roll solo sometimes because I always get confused when I'm like, Oh, I don't want to stay long. And other people are like me neither. And then if they're drinking and you're not, you can see it happening. It's like, Oh, they're having fun. Like they're losing sense of time. I'm not losing any sense of time. Like time is flying to them. I'm like, oh, I know it's 11. I've known for the last 60 seconds when the clock went from 10.59 to 11. Yeah, I knew that. I I watched it happen. So, but I saw Ron Howard. I mean, I just saw him out of the corner of my eye shaking hands with someone. Now at these parties, you do not go up to people at all. Uh, That would be horrifying and embarrassing, but Oh, there he, there, there he is. We're both in show business, him a little more so than me. Um, I heard Steven Spielberg was there, did not see him. I saw RuPaul walk by. I wanted to grab him and be like, I love you so much. I love you. I think you're a spiritual inspiration to me, but I couldn't. We do have mutual friends. I could have said, hey, I'm, we're both friends with blah, blah. But it was a, a, you know, there's hundreds of people there, maybe a thousand. He's working the room. He's running around. He's on his way somewhere. I didn't want to bother him. Then I was talking to a woman. Then there's these people where you're sitting around and, you know, someone will go, 
do you know Jen? But you, I don't know what this person's name is. So I'm talking to this agent. Let's call him Rick. Rick, this woman walks up. He's like, do you know Jen? And she's like, oh, no, I don't. And she shakes my hand. And I said, hi, I'm Jen. And she didn't say her name, which unless she was just spaced out or something. And maybe that's why the guy said, do you know Jen? So that I could say, and what's your name? And she could go Susie Doozy. And he could be like, that's right, Susie Doozy. And like, you know, because he forgot her name. But I think he really, I, she looked familiar to me. So I was like, I think she's an actress. I think she's on the TV or the movie. And I don't know who she is because I don't know anyone. This is me at like an industry party. Oh, there's Blah Blah. He's on Blah Blah. I've never heard his name or the show name. Yes, you have. No, I literally haven't. People just stare at me like, don't you work in television? I'm like, and I can barely keep track of the names of, of anyone in my own industry. I don't know. I, I don't know what it is, you guys. I guess I'm just not that interested or my brain doesn't memorize names. But I'm like, how do people memorize all these names? Or like, Ryan Rick works at this agency and then he over there is Peter Poopoo and then he does this and Sally Singding. I'm like, I don't know. What, why do you know all these names? So anyway. I'm talking to this woman forever and she keeps asking me what I do. And now we're going down some crazy rabbit hole where I'm not asking her a goddamn thing about herself. And I look like the world's worst conversationalist when normally all I do is ask other people about their life, about themselves, about their outfits. Like I make really good non-small talk, interesting questions that lead to other things conversation. But because I thought this woman might be famous and I didn't want to insult her and be like, I'm so sorry. I just have no idea who you are. Uh, because you can't really say that when you're at a big agency party around Emmy season, you can't be like, I'm just sort of checked out to show business. It doesn't come off as believable. And I didn't want to hurt her feelings. So I just sort of had to like walk away at a certain point, just like get myself out of that. And she's probably like, that woman is the rudest, most self-centered person I've ever met. So I feel bad, whatever your name is, blonde lady with the sequined pantsuit. I just thought you looked famous and I didn't recognize you. And I could have said, are you an actress? Can you tell me your name? That's right. I'm really sorry. I'm, I get overwhelmed at parties, faces, names. Well, it is so nice to meet you. I mean, I could have done that. It's just that my stomach was hurting and my brain was at half capacity. And I just, I didn't have the chutzpah to just, I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. Anyway, so uh, one of our old sponsors, Rent the Runway, I, they're still in my life personally. I use Rent the Runway. I found out there's a Rent the Runway store in Topanga Canyon, which is maybe 20 minute drive from me. So I went there today because of one of the parties, I'm going to the Amazon party on this week, the night of the Emmys. I don't get to go to the Emmys. Um, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel was nominated for a million things. But, uh, you know, like the more senior people go, like obviously our bosses go. But they don't take every writer there. But we get to go to the after party. And uh, that's a black tie. And I was like, come on. You know, like that's when you want to be just like Keith Richards. Like he's not going to wear black tie. He's going to go in his like one of his get-ups. And I, when you're not famous, famous like that, and you wear one of your get-ups, you just look bad. Does that make sense? So it really has to be the cachet of your face is your outfit, your face that says, I'm Keith Richards of 72 years of fame. You know, it's not like I'm well-known to some comedian, also a writer. Why am I here? 
um, you, I can't go in some crazy getup. So I had to get like a respectable long dress, but you don't want to get too dressed up so that the people who actually get the awards aren't looking at you like, calm down. You know, it's a balance. And I, it's my least favorite part of fashion. I only like fun, funky, like let's wear these big harem pants with like a crazy shirt. You know, my day-to-day funky outfits. I'm sorry I'm saying funky like I'm your weird aunt. Aunt. So anyway, um, yeah, that's just the insider hell that I go through. But, um, you know, I'll update you on how everything went on a future episode. But I wanted to read this um, because we are talking showbiz and it is a big week of show business stuff. Lots of people getting awards, lots of TV shows getting recognized. And, um, and also because I'm talking to Meryl and Megan about their, their, uh, super, uh, you know, I was gonna say feminist. It's just a project about women. I mean, I, I guess it's okay to say the word feminist. Why am I shying away from it? But, um, I thought I would read, the most amazing thing I read this week by Linda Bloodworth Thomason. She's the designing women creator. She went public with her Les Moonves war after he resigned this week. And she said, not all harassment is sexual. And she wrote this for the Hollywood reporter. I thought this was incredible. This gives you, uh, details into, of course, obviously sexual assault and rape and all of that is like just physically assaulting someone is utterly life altering and insane, but, uh, for the person that, that is the victim of it. But for most women, it's this stuff that I'm about to read you that goes on. And hers was just the most extreme example, but there's this sense of, you know, somebody was asking me the other day about the glass ceiling and women don't sit around going, Oh, I feel this glass ceiling over me. I feel like I can't get higher than that. It, you don't even know it's happening to you because it's all happening surreptitiously behind the scenes. And you you don't even... So let me just read you this letter and then we'll get into the episode. But, but I found it eye-opening. Now, before I read this letter, let me remind you people that I am... Oh, two new things are happening. I'm coming to San Diego November 18th, one show only at the American Comedy Company. It is not on sale yet. I do not believe. I'm not positive. We don't know. I record this in the future. Go to jenkirkman.com, click tour dates, and you can get some tickets. I really hope you can come to the show. It's a small club. Get tickets. You've been begging me to come to San Diego, so I tried an experiment. All the come to here, come to there people, I'm trying it with San Diego. And if people don't come, then I'm going to prove to you all once and for all that saying that doesn't make a dent. Um, And then Brooklyn, I will be in the New York Comedy Festival. I'm going to be doing my own big one-hour show at the Brooklyn Bell House on November 5th, uh, Monday night, the night before midterms. Those tickets go on sale on September 24th. So you can join my newsletter by going to jenkirkman.com, click tour dates. And that way, if you sign up, you will be the first to get notified about tickets. Please get tickets to see me in Sacramento and San Francisco, November 10th and 11th. Also on my website, jenkirkman.com, click tour dates. And please, for the love of God, come to see my dysfunctional Christmas show, December 6th. And of course, Burlington, Vermont, Vermont Comedy Club, October 11th through 13th, five shows. Guys, if you're thinking and going to these, please do. I want to do a big tour next year and I'm nervous that I don't have the fan base anymore. So if you're on the fence about getting tickets, you are actually, by buying them to these things, you are letting me know I still have a fan base out there. Um, 
this is just a little trial run in different areas to kind of feel out what's going on. So if you don't come, then I probably don't tour. So let's do this. I don't know why I'm doing that. Today's episode is brought to us by FabFitFun and RxBar. And, and my fine people, we are part of the All Things Comedy Network. Go to at I Seem Fun Podcast on Twitter, facebook.com slash I Seem Fun Podcast. And when you are there, the top post on Facebook will let you click into the closed Facebook group where we talk about all things all seem, all seem fun, all things I Seem Fun. Go to iTunes, give the show five stars, and write a really nice, sincere review. And uh, let me read this for you. And uh, it's pretty harrowing. Um, Oh, you know what? Let's talk about our sponsors really quick first. Let's talk about our sponsors. People, the FabFitFun box is here. It's unbelievable. I have it. My favorite thing in it is the French press coffee maker, but there's so many other things. There's there's full-size bath salts and facial moisturizer and wireless headphones and makeup brushes. I mean, it's unreal. The FabFitFun fall box is here. It always sells out, so please reserve your spot. Give this as a gift to a loved one. You have a daughter starting college, a friend who's a new mom. Go get, get your butt in gear for early Christmas shopping. It's also a great care package. It, what is it? It is a seasonable subscription box. Well, I think the word seasonal, but I said seasonable. It is a seasonal subscription box delivered four times a year with full-size fashion, beauty, home, fitness, and wellness products for just $49.99 a box. And everything in that box equals well over $275. So that box that I was just sent, that's not just worth $49.99. Hell no. Hells no. So here's what you do. You go to FabFitFun today to get your fall box, limited supply, so do it now, fabfitfun.com and use my offer code Kirkman to get $10 off your first box. Use promo code Kirkman, get FabFitFun, sign up at fabfitfun.com and start getting the box for a well-lived life. $10 off your first box with offer code Kirkman. That's over $200 worth of stuff for only $39.99. And everybody, oh my God, we've got the RX bars where have you been? It's been so long. And so many people, so many Iceem funners are writing me that they have gotten the RX bars, which makes me so happy because again, it's a product that I actually use. They believe in the power of transparency. They let the core ingredients do all the talking because they are listed on the front of the packaging of every RX bar. This is not some, you know, made of crap power bar. It's not what it is at all. They don't even call it a power bar. It's an RX bar. They've got egg whites for protein, dates to bind, nuts for texture, and other delicious ingredients like unsweetened chocolate, real fruit and spices like sea salt or cinnamon. Turns out real food ingredients actually taste really good. Whether you like sweet or savory, chocolate or fruit, there's definitely an RX bar for you. They come in 14 delicious flavor varieties, mango, pineapple, chocolate, hazelnut, peanut butter and berries, chocolate, sea salt, coconut chocolate, mixed berry, blueberry, maple sea salt, apple cinnamon, mint chocolate, chocolate chip, peanut butter, peanut butter chocolate, and coffee chocolate. They're all gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, no artificial colors, preservatives, or fillers. This is how I use them. I keep one in my car, one in my purse. I've got a box of them in my closet, and I sometimes just eat that for breakfast, or I I take it with me 
you know, sometimes I'll like go to a place where I know there's not going to be food. I want to eat at dinner when I go out with friends because I'm a vegetarian who's very kind. I'll sit at a steakhouse. I'll throw an RX bar. Like I'll eat one before I go out to dinner just to like keep me satiated. Or sometimes in the middle of the night, I'm like, I'm hungry, but I don't want to like do something bad, like go on Postmates and get tacos. I'll eat an RX bar. I mean, it's great. It is satiating and it is tasty. So for 25% off of your first order, go to rxbar.com slash fun and enter promo code ICMFUN at checkout. So rxbar.com slash fun for 25% off of your first order. Great. Now, here is the article. Linda Bloodworth Thomason, one of CBS's biggest hit makers, reveals the disgraced mogul kept her shows off the air for seven years. People asked me for years, what happened to you? Les Moonves happened to me. This is not the article you might be expecting about Les Moonves. It's not going to be wise or inspiring. It's going to be petty and punishing. In spite of my proper Southern mother's ad, uh, admonition to always be gracious, I am all out of grace when it comes to Mr. Moonves. In fact, like a lot of women in Hollywood, I am happy to dance on his professional grave. And not just any dance, this will be the Macarena, the Rumba, the Cha-Cha, and the Moonwalk. You get the idea. I was never sexually harassed or attacked by Les Moonves. My encounters were much more subtle, engendering a different kind of destruction. In 1992, I was given the largest writing and producing contract in the history of CBS. It was for $50 million, involving five new series with hefty penalties for each pilot not picked up. Designing Women was my flagship CBS show, and Evening Shade had just been lauded as the best new comedy of the season. CBS chairman Howard Stringer and President Jeff Sagansky attended many of the Designing Women tapings, reveling in the show, quoting the lines, and giving us carte blanche to tackle any subject, including sexual harassment, domestic violence, and pornography. They even greenlighted an entire episode satirizing Clarence Thomas's Supreme Court nomination. It was, to say the least, exhilarating. Little did I know that it would soon all be over. By 1995, Mr. Stringer and Mr. Sagansky were gone, and a new, unknown to me, president named Les Moonves had taken over. By then, I was producing a new pilot, prophetically titled Fully Clothed Non-Dancing Women. I was immediately concerned when I heard that Mr. Moonves was rumored to be a big fan of topless bars. Then someone delivered the news that he especially hated designing women and their loudmouthed speeches. He showed up at the first table read and took a chair directly across from mine. Actress Ileana Douglas, who later accused him of sexual harassment, sat next to me. Having been voted most popular in high school, I felt confident that I would be able to charm him. I was wrong. He sat and stared at me throughout the entire reading with eyes that were stunningly cold, as in, you are so dead. I had not experienced such a menacing look since Charles Manson tried to stare me down on a daily basis when I was a young reporter covering that trial. As soon as the pilot was completed, Moonves informed me that it would not be picked up. I was at the pinnacle of my career. I would not work again for seven years. During that period, because my contract was so valuable, I continued trying to win over Moonves, and he continued turning down every pilot I wrote. 
Often he would catch me in the parking lot. He would make sure to tell me that my script was one of the best he'd read, but that he had decided in the end not to do it. It always seemed that he enjoyed telling me this, just enough to keep me in the game. I was told he refused to give my scripts to any of the stars he had under contract. Then I began to hear from female CBS employees about his mercurial misogynist behavior, with actresses being ushered in and out of his office. His mantra, I was told, was, why would I want to cast him if I don't want to fuck him? And he was an angry bully who enjoyed telling people, I will tear off the top of your head and piss on your brain. Soon I would hear how he had invited a famous actress to lunch in the CBS dining room. Coming off the cancellation of her iconic detective show, the star began pitching a new one. He informed her that she was too old to be on his network. She began to cry and stood up to go. He stood up too, taking her by the shoulders and telling her, I can't let you leave like this. She reacted, suddenly touched. Then he shoved his tongue down her throat. I know this happened because the star is the person who told me. Over the years, even when an actress managed to get one of my scripts through an agent, the deal would immediately be killed. It was like a personal vendetta, and I will never know why. Was it because I was championing the New South, or an admittedly aggressive feminist agenda, or both? When the legendary Bette Midler informed Moonves that she wanted to do a series with me, I'm told he denied her request. When the singer Huey Lewis, whom Les had become enamored with, chose me to write a pilot for him, his contract was canceled. It would have been so easy, not to mention honorable, to simply tell me he was never going to put a show of mine on the air. That was certainly his right. But instead, he kept me hoping and hopping. When I finally realized he was never going to put a show of mine on the air, I left. It was never really about the money anyway. I just wanted to work. People asked me for years, where have you been? What happened to you? Les Moonves happened to me. Somewhere in the middle of all this, I was walking the halls one day in the original CBS building. In spite of no longer having gainful employment, I still felt proud that I had been allowed to make creative contribution to the network I had grown up with, starting with Lucy and Ethel, who had electrified me and inspired me to write comedy. I never dreamed that I would become the first woman, along with my then-writing partner, Mary Kay Place, to write for MASH. I took pride in being part of a network that always seemed to be rife with crazy, interesting, brash women, from Mary Tyler Moore and Rhoda to Maude to Murphy. Brown to the designing women. Many of these female characters paved the way for women to be single, to pursue careers and equal pay, and to lead rich, romantic lives with reproductive rights. As I walked, I noticed that the portraits of all these iconic women were no longer adorning the walls. I don't know why, and I didn't ask. I just know that the likes of them have rarely been seen on that network again. Thanks to Les Moonves, I can only guess they all became vaginal swabs in crime labs on CSI Amarillo. For years, Moonves loaded up the network with highly profitable male-dominated series, always careful to stir in and amply reward an occasional actress like the fabulous Patty Heaton or the irresistible Kaylee Cuco. But mostly, he presided over a plethora of macho crime shows featuring a virtual genocide of dead naked hotties in morgue drawers with sadistic female autopsy reports ratcheted up each week. Is that a missing breast implant, Lieutenant? Yes, sir. We also found playing cards in her uterus. On the day I officially parted company with CBS, the same day Mr. Moonves said he would only pay a tiny fraction of the penalties, my incredulous agent asked what he should tell me. Mr. Moonves replied, tell her to go fuck herself. I was not surprised when Moonves finally admitted on September 9th that he may have made some women uncomfortable and that those were mistakes. Let's be clear, shoving 
your tongue or penis down a woman's throat during an office meet and greet is not a mistake. It is an act of terror. It cannot be corrected with a special Hallmark card saying, sorry, my bad. I had planned to make this a lofty piece about how we women in entertainment can draw strength from our shared historical DNA as we slowly dig our way out of Hollywood's darkest places. I could have easily referenced Peg Entwistle, the young actress who jumped to her death, supposedly rejected by a number of powerful men. Betty Davis had gone to see her portrayal of Hedvig, inspiring Betty that very day to pursue a career in acting, thus giving new purpose to the dead girl lying at the base of the Hollywood sign, who never knew she had already passed the torch to arguably the greatest actress to ever grace the silver screen. I wanted to offer this story in stark opposition to all the women-hating slimeball men like Harvey Weinstein, James Toback, and Les Moonves to say, this is how we, in the face of them, continue to lift and inspire one another. But I don't feel inspired anymore. I just feel angry. The truth is, Les Moonves may never be punished in the way that he deserves. He will almost certainly never go to jail. And he has already made hundreds of millions of dollars during his highly successful and truly immoral bullying misogynist reign. Perhaps the best we can do is thank Ronan Farrell and all the brave women who came forward to make sure a man like this is finally gone, while putting all the other sexual predators who are still in our business on notice. We are not going to stop until every last one of you is gone. We don't care anymore if you go to jail or go to hell. Just know at some point that you are leaving. And as for you, Mr. Moonves, in spite of the fact that I was raised to be a proper Southern female, and with your acknowledgement that I have never, in my life, spoken a single crossword to you, despite the way you treated me, may I simply say, channeling my finest Julius Sugarbaker delivery, go fuck yourself. Uh... She, uh, Linda Bloodworth Thomason, is currently finishing her memoir, Rising Girl, My Adventures in Politics and Entertainment. Um, yeah, so there answers my question. I always ask, how come in the 70s we had shows like Maude and this, and in the 80s there were so many feminist shows, and then it all just seemed to stop? Les Moonves, a huge part of that. And don't think there aren't more where that came from. All right, let's get on with this week's They Seem Fun. Oh my God, guys, I'm here with Meryl Marco and Megan. Is it Megan Beth Keister or do you just go by Megan Keister? Just Megan Keister. Megan Keister, yeah, too. I can't hear myself. I, um, yeah, now I do. I can hear myself you can. too okay. well. <laughs> Both of you, by the way, I'm reading your, I'm listening to your book. Ugh, Aaron, which one do I turn up so I can hear myself? Is there, a, is there any way to adjust this or you can't, I guess? I think there is a way, but... Oh, there you go. But I am dumb. Uh, not that I need to hear myself because I love my voice, but I talk too loud, so I need to blare it so I can talk quieter. You, know what I'm saying? Yeah, I you do love your I'm voice? Saying, That's I do not oh, love my voice. Right. Nobody does. No. But I was going to say, so I'm listening. Okay. These two gals, these two... <laughs> now it's really loud. These two <laughs> mutilated men, as Aristotle, I just learned, called women. Isn't that amazing? What a knucklehead. unreal. Have uh, written and... I would say performed. It's not just read. It's performed. Sure. An audio book. I have to ask if you can turn this down. It's now screaming at me. (laughs) How's that? How can we turn the headphones down? Oh, how about this? I've been playing with them. Wait. Uh, How about that? That one is just... Oh, now it's really loud. Oh, Oh, shit. It's like... Is that better? I'm killing Meryl. It's hearing lost loud. (laughs) I'm so sorry. It's kind of like going to a rock concert. How's that? I hope is that all right? of this is kept in. By oh, the way. this. I hope this, I hope we're done. Actually, this I don't is think actually we need to talk anymore. After this, we're just signing off. 
Great. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys, for coming. Yeah, no problem. Any excuse to drive to Burbank. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. So your audio book is called The Indignities of Being a Woman, and it's available right now, right, on Audible? Right. And so how do they do it? They go to... I Is Amazon and Audible are... They're a family, right? They're yeah. Family. yeah. Right. <laughs> a very loving family. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's in the same place where you can buy toilet paper. You can also buy our book. Basically, exclusively, right? Exclusively, on we Audible. got this this gig because I'm in Amazon Prime, and Member. so they were that holds a lot of weight with them, right? Really? No, I'm just, just a <laughs> I mean, I knew that, so I didn't get the gig, but I didn't know if they were like, you know, what we are extra in, enthused about the fact that you're Prime. It it pays off in so many more ways than just free shipping. I've made that joke to the guy who was we were working with at least ten times, going, just remind Jeff Bezos. I'm in Amazon Prime. <laughs> there was, um, oh, I won't get into it. It's, it's a boring story. Okay, anyway, so <laughs> your book, The Indignities of Being a Woman, now available on Audible. So I guess this is a new thing that they're doing where people have audiobooks, but it's not available as a reading book. And yeah. I, what I love about it is I love podcasts. I, I don't listen to audiobooks that often because the rhythm of it, I, I can tell they're not talking to me and I start to drown out and I hope that doesn't sound narcissistic. Like, why aren't you talking to me? But when you guys read what you wrote, there's this conversational aspect to it as you do talk to each other and, and things like that. So it feels like a podcast. It's sort of podcast. Sounds like a podcasty. Let's yeah, let's be honest. Well, well, we actually went to pitch it as a podcast and they said, well, why don't you just do a 12 chapter book? And then so we came up with this format that we each read a piece and then we talk to each other about it. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. And the um, I was looking at the original announcement in Variety where they called it a podcast, mm. and you were very funny on Twitter, Meryl. You were like, "It's an audio book." <laughs> well, they made a podcast. A, they kept telling us that they yeah. kept saying oh, it's sure. an Audible original. It's, it's not, not a podcast. A podcast. <laughs> yeah, because Doctor Katz just did one. And it's an Audible original. Mm-hmm. And they're like, it's not a podcast. It's not a radio show. It's not a this. And it's like, I got it. So I'm just trying to make the overlords happy. So I was just listening to it on the drive over. Um, the chapters include things like, obviously, inequality, sex, hair. I thought it was a great chapter. Oh, good. Religion, politics. So each chapter is a different subject, a different indignity. Yeah. Right. Um, so I will get right into it. I hate questions like this, but... How did it come about? Oh my, it's the worst question. <laughs> no, it's well, not. Well, I guess uh, the birth of man and woman, right? And then, uh, you mean just big picture, right? No, That's what not. you're asking? How did, I mean, how, how'd the project come about? Yeah, I was joking, right? <laughs> yes, I do want to know. Well, through the book, you can find out how it all came. By the way, what I was saying originally is you both have great voices. I love listening to your voices. How great. They're funny and they're deep and resonant and... Just cool. You guys sound cool. <laughs> cool as tones. shit. Well, that's really a relief to hear because when I was listening to myself, I was just, oh my God. What? I, I love it. And the way you guys do your little asides, like I just love your voice. Make, I just love it. Thank you. That <laughs> is so wonderful <sighs> to hear. Well, you got my stamp of approval. Okay. So <laughs> I, I'm assuming, are you guys friends in real life? You're oh, yeah. chatting. You're mm-hmm. getting a wax as you do together, right. I'm sure. <laughs> so we do. We get a wax and then we go put on yoga pants and we walk around. You were <laughs> holding each other's hands while somebody was touching our feet. Yes. That's how it all came about. <laughs> where does that take place? <laughs> uh, in a strip mall in the valley oh. is where we were doing that. All right. Um, okay, let's never talk again. All right. <laughs> yeah, I think you guys like blew your load on the Audible, and now it's just like 
And now I'm just... They just come here to stare at each other. I'll <laughs> fill in the rest. Um, uh, they... Uh, uh, it came about because Megan knew somebody at Audible, right? Mm-hmm. You... Oh, no, it was uh, some other branch. It was somebody who recorded stand-up shows. Yeah, right. With Rooftop. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, sure. Rooftop and all. I knew somebody who worked there, and then he said that Audible was soliciting new projects, and then we decided to brainstorm. It's not really an interesting story No, at all. I know. It's they never really <laughs> are in that sense, but I was wondering if somebody mandated that you talk about feminism or the history of women or inequality, or if you organically wanted to do it. It I organically know, came about, yeah, about... I know it's hot right now. And sometimes I'll be assigned things like that, and I never trust it when it comes from someone else's right. brain. So I usually say no to stuff like that. So well, I'm me glad. too happened since. Yeah, the, this oh, everything wow. came about. Yeah, our idea to do this predated women's victimhood trending on right. Twitter or whatever. So <laughs> it was actually it was, fortuitous that all those women were victimized because now <laughs> we were able to actually do this monetize fun. their their, their, pain. their pain. Yeah, yeah. yeah you have to be ahead of a movement like that to make some good money off it. Because yeah. And that's so what, is isn't that's that what point. really matters? <laughs> that's all that matters. Um, the, well, then I assume there was a lot of adjusting as you went along. But you know what? The other thing was that we, we were post-Women's March. I think it was the Women's March that um, that I was thinking about when I was thinking about the premise. Mm. Right. That And that and the fact that we mentioned this a bunch of times, I've lived through... Um, Two of, at least two other peak feminist moments that crashed and burned. Right. Which is a really awful thing to know. Well, you know, it's interesting because you're, you lived through it, so you thought of it as crashing and burning. And then from my perspective, I'm 44, so when I was growing up and I look back at the women's movements, I assumed they were giant successes Same. and yeah. that everything was okay until I started living in the world. Right. And then I was like, weird. <laughs> This is, I thought they fixed this. Yeah, I really thought that in the 80s. I'm I'm on video on various places on YouTube saying, well, it's the 80s and we're over that now. And then recently I interviewed the women who wrote Thelma and Louise and I was reading their PR and their PR was full of, well, isn't this Thelma Thelma and Louise stuff, isn't this kind of dated? I mean, it's 91 and we're past that now. Yeah. That's, That's what people keep saying. That's what they wanted us to believe. But then... In the 90s, I remember, uh, what's her name's book, Backlash? Susan Faludi. Yes, that came out. And I thought that was really interesting where she said, we're going to have to find something for the men to do or it's going to get really bad. Right. Because we have equality in some ways, but now they don't have a purpose. And so we have to take care of them. Oh, they found their purpose again. (laughs) I think (laughs) They reformatted. (laughs) Everything she said came true. And what I thought was related to your your book, that article that came out this week from Linda Bloodworth Thompson Thomason. That was amazing. That so she for the listeners, I read it before uh it's going to be in the intro to this episode. So the the, the listeners will have just heard it. I was sitting around, I used to say all the time, I some but it doesn't seem like it never changed. In some areas it does seem like it suddenly got worse again. And I remember growing up when people always go, female in comedy when you were growing up, did you feel like you could never break in? I'm like, no, I thought I could because there's a million women on TV doing it. Like, I never yeah. questioned it. And so I was like, why? You know, Saturday night, we all watch Maude, and she's over 40 and looks even older and is talking about feminism. Like, everyone watched that, and everyone was fine. Nobody died from watching a show about a feminist. And so I said, how come we had those shows? And then suddenly it stopped, and then realized, um, 
Scott, what's his name? Les Moonves literally made it stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Came in and canceled all these shows with women. And then I'm sure there was success with, you know, fat husband, hot wife. And then other networks did it. And then he changed the culture. Yeah. And I, I realized that, yeah, it's not even just a case of, oh, things haven't gotten better and they will. It's like, actually, what do we do about the fact that things were better and then they got worse? Like, yeah. It's hard to convince people of that. And all, throughout, there's always been, I mean, as a person who's pitched a million shows that didn't go forward, there's Congrats. always been resistance that way, but you don't know what happens when you leave that office if they're going, oh, all right, yeah, sure, we're really going to buy that. Right. I mean, I was always pitching stuff with female characters, thinking, well, there's other female characters on TV. How about this one? Yeah. Not knowing that, hmm? oh, well, there's women in the world. I mean, you might want to see <laughs> that I've seen some. In- yeah, right. I <laughs> saw other ones outside when I came to find you guys. Yeah. Like, I didn't know if it was just us three, <laughs> but there's like two other ones across the street at least. So there must be more. They're not all raped and eviscerated corpses like you'd see on <laughs> CBS primetime. Right. Also. And I feel so proud of myself. I don't like those shows, but it's not for feminist reasons. I'm just a scaredy cat. But um, I feel justified in never having watched one. Like, yeah. Now I'm changing the reason. I never <laughs> thought there. <laughs> I never thought Bill Cosby was funny. I nope. never watched CSI. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, have you had that experience too where you're, um, Megan, where you're maybe, I don't know, doing something in comedy and because I feel like people think we're walking around going, it's so sexist. We forget every 10 minutes. And then something happens and we don't get something or something isn't going right. Right. And you go, oh, well, it's hard. It's a hard business. And then you go, oh, wait, maybe that is my gender. Right. <laughs> and even that women aren't funny stuff. I keep thinking that isn't possible that that could keep having any life. And then, I mean, the question that always comes to mind when it revives itself, and I can't believe that it keeps reviving itself, is who do you hang out with? I mean, right. obviously, it's. I, in fact, I was even thinking about Christopher Hitchens had one. I think he had one of those um, blonde bombshell wives. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So her friends maybe weren't funny. And maybe that's sure. all the women that he knew. Maybe I've, they were, maybe they weren't. Maybe they thought each other were funny. Yeah. But, I mean, if you never hang out with, with funny women, why would you know women are funny? Well, and also think about who's pushing that narrative, too. Yeah. Like, you remember how when uh, Jerry Lewis was still alive every mm-hmm. few years, he doubled down on the women aren't funny thing? <laughs> right. And the last time he did it, I remember it was at Con that he, you know, doubled down on the mm-hmm. women aren't funny thing. And I remember seeing a picture of him on the red carpet at Con, and he was wearing house slippers outside. <laughs> Like, what are we doing listening to a doddering old fuck wearing house slippers? Nobody actually believes what anyone wearing house slippers yeah. in the public has to like, say. You have to shuffle when you wear slippers, too. Right. So just the image of him, just like, <laughs> no. The idea that any of his opinions have weight is patently absurd. Well, this is the problem, though, and is that when you write an article like Christopher Hitchens did in Vanity Fair and you pose why women aren't funny. I mean, he didn't even ask the question. He was like, no, they're not, and here's why. (laughs) And that lives on. And so then people think that's a normal thing to ask about. And then guess who looks the least funny when all they are doing is doing interviews and being asked that question? Yeah. The funny women. Right. So now if you, you know, and I'm sure you're always... That's a good point. Yeah, you're always Googling my name, I'm sure. But if you Google my name, (laughs) every article is like, accuse Louis C.K. of harassment. Says women aren't funny, but are funny. And I'm like, sometimes (laughs) I say funny stuff, but I never get to when I'm advertising the funny stuff that I've 
accomplished. Right. right. Because they love that question, but it never leads to an interesting conversation. No. It's a no. two minute soundbite where I'm like, and you just start naming names. Like Carol Burnett. Like, uh, <laughs> that's all that happens. <laughs> well, you know, the, um, all of this is the reason that we wrote this book and I started doing this historical research because I, I was an art student and I didn't really ever study history. And I really didn't have any idea how grim things were for women. When I was growing up in school, they used to say women at some point were chattel is the word they used, which meant nothing to me. And I Who said that? That was a, sort of what was in a textbooks. Principle. Oh, in te- yeah, I was like, okay, got <laughs> it, got Textbooks it. would say, yeah. and women were chattel. It was when they were taught, they'd be summing up either the Middle Ages or they'd be got summing it. up the Old West or what, I don't know what they were summing up, but that was the word I remember hearing and thinking, well, is that like cattle? And it didn't mean anything to me, you know, it meant nothing. And I really had no idea how suppressed women have been from 3500 BC on yeah. just based on gender. yeah. It just never occurred to me that Aristotle, I didn't know anything about Aristotle really, but it didn't, I didn't know that he was saying horrible things about women either. Nobody's teaching that in school when they're teaching things about Aristotle, that he was a horrible misogynist. When I look back on what we were taught, I realized it wasn't much. And so I assumed, oh, women just didn't do that. You know, and then that movie Hidden Figures came out. I had no idea that women were the ones launching the codes for the astronauts. I had no idea they were black women. And I just felt like, oh my God, I know there's so much I don't know. And then we get into intersectional and it's like, right, I keep forgetting. Like maybe I thought things were fine for a minute, but talk to black women and they're like, it never got better for us. You know, it's just, there's that. And there's the fact that when I started researching this stuff, because we divided this up into chapters. So when I went before I was, we did a lot of reading of um, um, academic texts and stuff like that, and I got a bunch of historical did books. Did a man help go- you read them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he read them to me, and then okay, good, it, good, good. wherever needed, he would explain everything. Yeah, yeah, sure. But um, when, I w- when I was doing that, I, I also always went to Wikipedia just to see what the overview was going to say mm. and what their resources were in case there were any books I wanted to. And I quickly started seeing over and over again, well, none of, there are no women's voices recorded on this subject because all of this was written by men. There are no, there were no women in history because they weren't taught to write. Mm. They were left out of history and mm-hmm. the men were writing history and they were just excluding women. That never occurred to me. Right. That's, that's never occurred to me. And isn't that interesting? Like I've never thought of that until you just said it that way. It's really weird. <laughs> It's very, you don't really hear women's voices. Diaries start showing up in the Middle Ages. Mm. But that's the first time when I was um, was sort of going through stuff and I started running into um, paragraphs where this these were historical things written by women and they were saying, and in the, in the 1500s, we begin for the first time to hear and then it was women recording their lives and it was such a relief. Yeah. Because everything else was truncated and eliminated based on it only being written by men. It's so, like, when I was thinking about uh, your chapter that you did on voting, you mentioned that Frederick Douglass had really supported, um, what was her name? Katie Stanton? Uh, Elizabeth, oh, Elizabeth uh, Katie, Katie Stanton. Elizabeth Katie Stanton, sorry. So when I did, I did a, they asked me to do a drunk history about, so they said, do something about a feminist moment. And I didn't want to do the usual, like, Betsy Ross and the flag. and. Right. Voting and I, I couldn't 
really find one that was totally succinct. Oh, there's a lot of places you can find it, but you have to go find those things because they yeah. do teach this stuff in some colleges as a major, history or whatever. Yeah. But did you just say history? Is that's where at Barnard? I, where did you <laughs> major in history? I remember hearing that when I was in college, history. And then at some place in here, it says womanity. You know, those words always annoyed me. Womanity or woman with a Y is annoying. Oh, God. But uh, yeah, so I was like, there was nothing really succinct that like, so I just started looking into Frederick Douglass and I realized, oh, he was a really huge part of the, um, you know, the uh, suffrage movement. The suffrage movement. But then I just recently read an article on the civil rights movement and how incredibly sexist it was. And Martin Luther King was not... Uh, inclusive of the women, right. and Frederick Douglass also was Megan not... talks about that in, in this. Oh, hey. which chapter is that? Uh, in the first chapter, or oh, just okay. about gross inequality in general. It's, yeah, like, delicious that women also weren't equal in the civil rights movement. Right. In terms of, like, they wouldn't um, let the female heads, uh, or, like, uh, women like... Um, uh, <laughs> God damn it. I've lost my mind. Uh, the, well, they wouldn't let the women, like, march in the front. They had to march in the back with the wives, like all of the female heads. The women the leaders of the civil rights leaders. Yeah, and they weren't allowed to Why, talk. were they trying to protect them or something? Uh, no, just the men wanted to have all the credit, even oh, though the women sure. were the ones who actually kicked it off in the first place, because the male leaders, most of them were just satisfied with how um, segregation was working at the time and just wanted it to be a more civil form of segregation, whereas the women were like, no, actually, fucking integration or nothing. I um, never knew that. Yeah. Like, the women were more extreme than the men, I guess. I, I mean, of course I believe, I mean... Uh, now I'm starting to understand that. So, and, and and also there's a little anecdote. I read it somewhere once. I'm trying to find it again. Where I think it was MLK's wife who they claim there's audio. I don't know. Where she said to him before he made his speech, say that I have a dream thing. Like, <laughs> that is just the most classic example of <laughs> behind that, every great man. I hope that's man. true. <laughs> I hope it's true too. But but, but I always but, found that behind every great man, there's a great, so irritating that I, I grew up hearing that, you know, and yeah. that always infuriated me. It's What's she standing behind him for? Right. Yeah, they, they acted like, and so we should, you know, amplify her, but it was like, isn't that great, gals? It's really women doing it. And then I just accepted it like, oh, cool. So they'll be up there and we'll be behind here. But we have that little slogan. So that's nice. Receiving no credit, <laughs> no yet credit. still doing all the work. Yes. Fantastic. And that's was my biggest problem with um, the whole Bernie Sanders thing last year or two years ago or to this day that still goes on <laughs> Never ends. where it's like, but he did this, he did that. I'm like, he didn't do the work that you're talking about. Like he may have been in some photos, but it's like women are licking the stamps. Women are writing on the envelopes. Like women is not his idea to have, a, you know, a socialist economy is not his idea. He did not make this up back in Vermont. Back then I've, I've heard from so many women that were like, he would come to our meetings and we, a lot of the women didn't have childcare. So they would bring the, the, their kids to these local meetings in Vermont. And he, uh, he would complain about the kids there. Okay. And so it's like, I try, you know, but try to tell a young man that and he doesn't want to hear it or also doesn't get why that's offensive. You know, yeah. that's, I don't know how we're going to teach people. It's just so hard to explain to people that although they might not think they're sexist, they have only heard men's stories or things from men's point of view their whole lives. And it does affect you. It affects us. Well, like, you know, part of when I was researching this, because we slip we split it up into categories and and um I went to art school and I remember 
the Renaissance, you know, I go to art museums all the time and, and, um, and, and art always seemed to me to be a category unto itself without real separation of, it, it just didn't occur to me how separated it was that the, yeah. re, the reason that there are no women in the Renaissance is they were there. They weren't, they didn't make it into history. They were excluded. They're, yeah. Now they're sneaking in. Now they're finding beautiful paintings that you can find online by women masters, but they were excluded from everything. That never occurred to me that that really has been going on since in all areas. In, right. They were, and how about in women in entertainment? We have a chapter on that. That no women were allowed on stage until 1600. 1600 seems pretty recent to me. 1600. It none. does. Like there are houses that <laughs> people live in now that were built in 1600. It's not that long ago. No. If you go but to none, Mac- no yeah. women on stage, all, all parts played by men. That was why they say in one of the things I read that Shakespeare was writing so many parts of women's dress, women dressed as men because men were going to have to play them. Can I just, can we just, I'm not. Why would you think I, of that, by the way, that no, women shouldn't be on a stage? It would, it would seem like more effort to keep them off stage it's and always, have men do this. Yes, yes. That's, that's how ingrained misogyny is, is that men are willing to expend more effort on excluding women than... I mean, the, or like, how about yeah. Castrati? How about... You I know about know ca- that is. The, um, uh, Women started... Is that where castrating comes from? I'm not joking. Yeah, castrati mm-hmm. are, were boys that the Catholic Church castrated so their voices would always stay oh, high. I did know about that. I thought that was a person. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's it's many like, who's people. Who's castrati? Mutilated boys. Yeah. They were more in- eager to have the high voices come from mutilated boys than to let women and in the And perish choir. the thought. Right, exactly. I don't think we, three of us, could have ever been in that choir. But who thinks of that? Who would yeah. think, hey, you know what you can do if you want high voices? Yeah. Just cut off dicks on young boys. <laughs> oh, that's a that's great a, idea. That's how you do it. We were almost going to have these other people, the ones with the boobs, um, in it, but I, we couldn't have that. Yeah. Well, there was, um, uh, a thing going around right now that I, well, everything that's happening with Kavanaugh where they're like, boys will be boys. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. And I used to have a thing in my act. I think I will bring it back about, it was a story about these kids used to bully me in fifth grade. I'm a physically bully, th- put rocks and snowballs, like kick soccer balls at my head. And I got a oh, concussion God. once. And the teacher said, boys will be boys. And then I just, I lost it one day and I had a hockey stick. It was like, I don't know why we were playing floor hockey in gym class. And I just beat the crap out of this kid, Robbie, on his ankle. And I got, and I had to go to anger management at the principal's office. And I felt so ashamed. And I still do this day. I'm afraid when I tell that story, people will think, oh, she's crazy. And I was husband. I'm just constantly through my head as I'm crazy. I'm crazy. I'm crazy. And it's from that moment where I was that angry. I was sociopathically Mm -hmm. crazy in that moment because of the years of the physical bullying. And so I just put that on Twitter today and all these women wrote back. I didn't know I wasn't, I didn't think I was special, but I didn't know a lot of people had, because I used to say to people, no, 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 guys didn't. It wasn't mean girls. I didn't have that. I, it was boys physically, and so all these women wrote back hundreds that were just had the same story. You you did something like that on Twitter last week, and I'm trying to remember what the topic was where people started writing in. Do you remember what it was? You had another thing oh. where people all started writing in. Was it was it about walking to your car alone at night? Or Maybe was it- something like that. But again, a thing that I just thought, oh, it probably happens sometimes. But I didn't realize everyone yeah. had the, the same story of that experience. Yeah. Or- I, I'm glad for it, but what, 
It just, yeah, the boys will be boys things. So I was trying to start a thing. Girls will be girls. I saw it was already a hashtag. I was like, damn, but that's all right. But, you know, I think that that just like lives inside of us. Like, are there things you guys have that you've recently shaken off? Cause you're like, oh wait, that was my own ingrained sexism. Like that you just realized. Oh yeah. Me. I, I was realizing when I was a kid in college, I, I had totally, I guess they call it, um, identifying with your aggressor. Yeah. I had totally right. identified Stockholm syndrome maybe or something. Something like that. Yeah. I I remember saying I wasn't I it was important to me that I not be a dumb chick artist. Mm-hmm. That um that I that because that's what the, all the guys that I admired were talking about was like, you know, the dumb chicks and as chick art and stuff. And so I was really it was important to me that I be that div- it's that thing. Yeah. Who who was talking to us? I just sent it to you the other day. It was mm-hmm. about women exceptionalism. That women were raised with exceptionalism, like you're, it's the group doesn't have much ability, but if you do, you're the exception to the rule. I'm not like other girls. All I love yes. to do is just watch the game with my fucking man wearing panties and a jersey, you know, <laughs> right. and you know, I never get cold. And I don't carry a handbag like that. Sort of like yes. separating yourself. And I from can eat as much as I gender. want. Yeah, yeah. That was a, I'm like a guy was a big. Mm-hmm. When I started out in comedy, there was comments like you're like a guy, and I was like, oh, thank yeah, you, exactly. Yeah. Or you write like a guy, right? Yeah, that was the big compliment. Is you write that, like a guy. Yeah, I went out of my way to be completely non-gendered at all with anything, like any joke I wrote. I didn't want people to see me as a woman because female comedy perished. The, you know, it was all yeah. fucking period. And And it's funny, though, because in in a weird way, when you're on stage, especially if it's not Los Angeles or New York, you kind of do feel like you want to just cover up a little bit so that they can concentrate on what you're saying. So you don't want to be like, you know, whatever, with some cleavage or something. But now I I dress up like um, more like a not anything sexy, but I dress flamboyantly that if, you know, a man or woman could dress the way I dress, but I like to dress up on stage now for all the years I wore sweatpants on stage <laughs> to try to be like the guys. Sweatpants. Yeah. yeah well, they, they, nobody dresses worse than male comedians. No, they are nobody. really they terribly dressed group. They share the same hoodie that they got <laughs> yes. doing a failed pilot 15 years ago. They just recycled. When I was starting, it was, they shared the same horrible sport coat. Oh, that's right. Yeah. For our generation, it's like hoodie and flannel shirts. Hoodie, flannel shirt, beards now. You know what I want to tell everyone is I I ran into Zach Galifianakis maybe six months ago. We were doing a show at Largo and he was saying, you know, he's really insecure. And that was why for him, it was like, play the piano, like get drunk before a show, have a beard. And that beard was like hiding himself. And he still doesn't really like to do stand up because he doesn't drink anymore. And he doesn't do some of the same things he used to do. And I just want to tell all the boys, like that look that he, I feel like in a weird way, pioneered in comedy. He did it because he's insecure, you guys, and he's grown out of it. So you guys can shave too and learn how to like reveal yourselves. Because in a weird way, men are, the reason they all wear the same uniform, in my opinion, is because they're scared to stand out. And so we just naturally stand out. So I feel like how can women not be funnier because we had to work so much harder? Like I didn't have a tribe of a bunch of people that looked just like me when I started. You know who does dress really well, by the way? Chris Rock. He dresses great. Yeah. And so does, um, he's British and he's got black hair and he kind of wears, he's very like David Bowie-esque. He wears like big fur coats. I forget his name. <laughs> um, Neil, I don't know. He wears eyeliner. I like that. I like that whole thing. Oh, you mean Tim Minchin? No, but similar. 
him, but another guy. It is interesting, though, you bringing up Galifianakis dressing and looking like that mm-hmm. out of insecurity when it's the kind of guys who look like that now are just the most narcissistic, self-obsessed people on the planet. Yeah, it's but true. But how like, can you be narcissistic and look like shit? It yeah, d- but doesn't make any sense. Do you understand that the premise, that this is, I used to do a lot of research on narcissism. I'm, I'm like a world Oh, by the way, pausing expert. on that, your great book, right, that you wrote a, kind of with your mom in mind, what's it called? Um, Cool, Calm, and Contentious. Cool, Calm, and Contentious. Did you contact me once and say you had a theory that women without kids had narcissistic moms? Yeah. No, okay. not, not even just women without kids. Well, women without kids have crazy moms who are unhappy. Got it. But all women in comedy have narcissistic moms. Isn't that interesting? So at least all the compulsively joking ones that I know. Right, right. It, it's, it's, I guess it's... Uh, Self-preservation or something. Right. Okay. Anyway, so I'm sorry to interrupt. What were you saying about narcissists? And uh, who what look was like, I saying? Well, she said they look like shit. And you, you said... You started diving into constantly reading about narcissists. You're constantly Oh, yeah, you're reading about, about narcissism. Right, and they have the balls to look like shit and they're insecure. And- oh, right. The, 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 um, the most easy way to understand narcissism, the slug line that is the greatest that someone once told me, which is, I'm the piece of shit the world revolves around. <laughs> oh, that's what people used to say about people from Boston. No. <laughs> that's where I'm from, and that's the Boston attitudes. You think you're fucking better than me? It's like no one is getting a job in New York City because they're thinking they're better than you. Like no one's thinking about you and that you never left. That's like the right. very like Red Sox fan attitude, but it is. It's narcissism. It's narcissism. <laughs> right. It's it's not necessarily like uh, you're high on yourself, but you're just... No, you have no sense of self. Your That's world where it is gets, so small. Where, where, where it gets very, very confusing, and it's so counterintuitive that you have to read 10 of these books in order for it to finally sink in, yeah. is the people who are most self-obsessed have no sense of self, because yeah. everything can shake their sense of self. They never can ride it. They never can be have somebody come at them and, and argue with them and not feel so humiliated that they've been destroyed. And the perfect example is Trump. Trump. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's so... That's why anything... It's it's so easy to manipulate him because all you have to do is say that you like him. That's every speech about every world leader. And he likes me. It's like a little <laughs> kid. And so I feel like... I, I heard don't... Melania say that too, and it made me really sick to my stomach because there's no worse relationship that you could have than one of those ones where, oh no, he's a little kid. Oh yes, he screams at me out for hours on end, but he's like a little kid. Screaming. Oh, I know. <laughs> right, right. <sighs> I don't know why we're like, so that's okay. Cause the, the grown man is like a little kid, but I, I just think of like, why aren't they dealing? I mean, maybe they are. It seems like that's what that editorial in the New York times was all about, that they were like, we're dealing with a narcissist and we're doing all the manipulation. It seemed like, I'm like, why aren't people saying, I feel like Chuck and Nancy, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, had a moment when they almost got him to do the DACA deal last year. Yeah, that's right. I feel like they were really knowing how to schmooze the narcissist, and he was getting fooled by them, and then someone had to take him aside, and he was like, oh, forget it. Yeah, well, you can never trust, really, a narcissist. They always are going to go back to their own solipsistic view. So, Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know how we got off on this. Oh, I don't remember what it's saying. <laughs> it's a sub. Uh, I'm always willing to talk about narcissists and sociopaths. It's, it's my. It's oh like no, a, kind of her thing. It's a about, hobby. Let's talk about sociopaths. <laughs> how? Because I feel like these are words we throw around, and it's so much that they no longer have meaning. They almost. no longer have meaning. So yeah. I'm like, psychopath is totally different. It's like, what they're, is they're, the difference? It's the same, actually. It is. But they. But uh, yes, according to the those desk reference books that mm-hmm. bother to define it, it's the same. But psychopath is the one who will more likely do physical harm. Okay. So what's a sociopath? Sociopath is just an extreme narcissist. 
Like Some where they who, don't have empathy? Yeah, you they can't have see no beyond yourself at all. You mean? Well, they have no empathy. And then they also consider um, everything as winning. It's, Trump is a sociopath. Right. It's uh, that, that um, by somebody else losing, you're winning. Ah, oh, got it. They, they only win when other people are defeated. Well, you know what's interesting is you just brought up something that I used to have that attitude when I first started in comedy. And it, it makes me so sad because I'm not organically competitive um, in a nasty way, mostly competitive with myself or actually not even. I'm kind of also very kind of lazy in that way. Like, but you're very ambitious. I think so. I'm also just kind of a hippie. Like I want one thing. I just want to tour and have thousands of – I want to tour 5,000 seat theaters. That's all I want. I don't want well, anything. It seems more. like you're very close to that. No, Aren't no. you doing that already? I had a dipsy oh. do. I've oh. I've gone down. My fan base <laughs> has gone down. Um and but I so I don't like wanna do this or do that. Like any other thing I do that isn't stand up is to pay the bills or to try to get more people to like my stand up. But I don't like really enjoy working in other industries within the comedy industry. But anyway, because they only let one woman through at a time, you have to almost hate other women. Right. And you have to almost be sociopathically competitive, like, oh, good, they lost. I could win now. And it, and I was like that when I first started, and it, it was eating me alive because it was so foreign. But they me. don't only just let one woman through at a time now, do they? I mean, well, it seems like there's a lot of – certainly from more. compared to when I started, there's so many really – Excellent women doing stand-up. Yeah, there's more. A lot, a long list. There's and then new ones through. every minute when I turn on some Netflix. I know. Thing. Let's stop. How do we stop? <laughs> How about everyone stop getting into stand-up for two years? Let us all catch up, men and women. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's like perfect example now is we, we don't, we're not allowed to be mediocre. So when they were trying to replace Jon Stewart with The Daily Show, they were offering to, it to people who, A, don't even do late night stuff like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. And then like, well, we offered it to three women. It's like you offered it to three exceptional women who don't even do that. Right. Three where, prom queens. Who are already, who already had a lot fuck. of dates. Yeah. Why don't you give it to a woman that is going to become famous from The Daily Show right. the way Jon Stewart did? Or the way no, that um, uh, Noah... Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah. But they don't do that with a woman. It's like, yeah, but what's she done? Nothing. That's just like what John had done, nothing. And I, so I'm just trying to get his Or Trevor over. Noah. I mean, Trevor Noah was virtually unknown, wasn't he? I think so, pretty much. Yeah, it's like get someone with a few things under their belt, like sure, but nothing that's like, you know... Well, they no didn't give... No, now they gave Michelle Wolf a chance and she's gone. Oh, right, because you have to... I don't that was know a what really she, good show. I don't know what she did, quote, wrong exactly, but they didn't give it <laughs> time. And, and and that's the other thing is I almost miss old school sexism because I've experienced that. And it's very easy to get the guy to at least change his mind about you in that moment. Mm. So I've had so many times where it's like, hey, little lady, you could do some comedy tonight. And then I do well. And they're like, hey, I'm real sorry. You're funny. And they have to do this with each woman they meet, I think, until they realize maybe women in general are funny. But like when someone pinches your ass, you say no. That mad men thing of he sees me as a secretary, but I'm going to have a really good idea. And now we're having cocktails. That seems easier to me than the new sexism, which is guys do not think they're sexist. And right. it's so insidious that they're saying no to you because they're like, you're not exceptional enough. And I'm like, shit. And it's easy to go, oh, I guess so. Because I was, I have two Netflix specials and I, I can't get a third. And they're great, by the way. Oh, thanks. And they, they wouldn't really explain why I couldn't get a third. They were like, it just didn't blow the roof off. I'm like, oh, so I have to blow the roof blow off the fucking <laughs> to get a third. And so I guess I have, so I can't. And then now the other networks that give specials, they're like, yeah, but how is yours different? I'm like, 
Oh, well, it's just not. It's stand-up. And they're like, yeah, we're looking for, like, different conceptual shows oh, now. Oh, like, jeez. Great. Good. Okay, good. So now I have to be, like, Well, maybe get a mouse costume wheel. or something. <laughs> it does seem, it seems quaint, yeah, like the era in which you could just basically tell a woman, I am not hiring you because you're a woman, and now everybody has to come up with, like, a new alternate excuse to you know, cover right. up their inherent misogyny. You know what's really funny is when I first started um, getting writing jobs in TV, there used to be this thing called tokenism. Oh, yeah, sure. I was talking to Nell Scovel about this. Tokenism seems like the good old days of unbelievable opportunity now. It used to be that they wouldn't just (laughs) hire one person, one woman, they would hire two because one looked so obvious like you could only, you just have one. So you have two and it seems like, yeah, we have women. And, yeah. uh, and they never, did. then they stopped doing that altogether. I was going to say, I don't, became the good old days. I don't remember the two <laughs> tokens to cover up that there's one token. I somehow, I missed that. That was a that brief world. phase. Yeah. yeah that, I was on a lot of staffs like that where there were two. What was your, uh, did you ever feel the, did it ever feel like, I, I only know looking back when I've been the only woman in the room that I go, oh, no wonder I didn't feel good because I didn't have other people to joke around with. Not that I can only joke with women, but did, did it dawn on you when you're in these rooms that something was off? Uh, you know, no, I just, uh, um, I, I was impervious. That was where I was, I guess, sexist. Yeah. It's, it didn't occur to me. How odd it I, was. <laughs> yeah. Right. I just, I had, I had started and there was always the most there would ever be would be two women. Mm-hmm. So like if there was just one, it was just... I always made friends with guys. Yeah. I ju- I, it didn't occur to me, uh, any bigger picture didn't occur to me, it was me hanging on for survival. So yeah. it, it, that's where doing all this research really was interesting to me, is that it, it didn't occur to me that it goes back 5,000 years either. Right. <laughs> that, that it isn't just, you know, the 80s that... Th- that <laughs> <laughs> well, there's also a cyclical nature to it, which I think we've talked about that already, like the cyclical nature of sometimes it seems like things get better and then it seems like they get worse. Like tokenism yeah. existing, but now we live in an era in which like Bill Maher has zero women on the writing staff and that's fine. Nobody calls him out for that. No, or they do, but it's like nothing happens. But then it's just us shrill cunts in the corner saying, like, yes. yeah, you women on your writing staff. Or, or that's shrill how cunts in the corner is a good name for something. I don't know why. What? But like, you know, they have those like, there's the den meditation studio and that's where you go and meditate. And I feel like there should be shrill cunts in the corner, like a real nice place with pillows and tea. <laughs> and you go to just like, you just drive there you maybe for half like. an hour. Yeah. To just be like, fuck. And just scream about anything sexist that happened. And then, you know, you get with your shrill cunts and you leave. And right. You know, I'm not that exactly nice. sure why cunt is such a horrible word either. I love it. I and mean, it, yeah. it's, it's really weird that the female organ is, is the worst thing you can say. It goes way back to ancient Rome, I think it was, where, yeah, the word was landica and it was the worst thing you could call somebody. Landica? Mm-hmm. So you want to remember that when you go to Italy. So yeah. You, yeah. Name your next dog that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, there's a book called Cunt that's like uh, written years ago, like I think 20 years ago, about how it's the most feminist word ever. And and uh, you read two pages like, I got it, I got it. Right, right. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> but the, but the but Brits I use it. it really well. That's uh, that. I thank God British people still use it for everything because it's how I can get away with it here because right. sometimes other women are the problem for me in terms of uh, being too um, 
I was going to say the word harping. Here we go. <laughs> but, but being too focused on things like cunt. And it's like, we've got bigger problems. Right. I'm going to say cunt. I'm a comedian. And also language. And I mean, I just can't. I, I understand the, the harm of language when you're talking about racial stereotyping sure. and degrading people. But I mean, most language have like the word fuck. You know, I mean, I've been saying that since I was a child. I mean, yeah, the <laughs> problem is supposed to be anything. No. Well, with cunt, like the problem is just, I guess, the intent behind it, sure. especially when some dude on the internet calls you. It. Oh, well, that's different. Uh, but I'm always tickled when a dude on the internet calls me a cunt because it's like, I have broken you down so much. You have <laughs> nothing to say. Well, all you have to say is what you think the worst thing you could say to me is, guess what? I don't care. Yeah, you know totally. I mean? <laughs> and I love that too because it's like you've just revealed yourself. Yeah. Like you're not using it the way we use it. We're literally like, oh, that guy in the parking lot, what a cunt, he cut me off, you know, or that woman's a cunt because she's, you know, an actual sociopath or something. But he's just like, you're trying to hurt me yeah. and you failed. And that's what he really thinks of you deep down. And that's what he wanted to start the conversation with when he went, just curious, <laughs> just curious is the new most sexist way you could start. I don't know if you've experienced this huh. on yeah. Twitter. It's guys who in bad faith are asking you to defend mm -hmm. your uh, position on any feminist issue where you are not wrong. Like right. there could be, if a guy reads, uh, listens to your book, he could tweet you and say, just curious, why do you think that women were kept down for 5,000 years? That he's mm -hmm. not really right. interested. It's the illusion of creating a dialogue. You yes. know, there's some place in here, I don't know if you got to the point where there's, um, there was a Barack Obama quote. There no, was that, that thing he said, um, Within recent memory, it's like maybe two months ago. Three, if that, yeah. Um, he said this thing about, um, uh, guys, what's wrong with us? Do you remember that? Oh, he yeah. He was talking in South Africa, and he, he said, said, women need to get into politics. Yeah. And, and he went, you know, guys are getting on my nerves. Guys, what's wrong with us? And I, I was just so blown away by the fact that he was willing to say that, that he yeah. wasn't justifying bad behavior and going, well, you know, you have to understand that in the, right. in the history, context of <laughs> context, another word I hate. Just the, that's the way things have been done. And so, you know, it, the thing I, I heard that and I started clenching and I was like, oh, they should get into politics. Like in 2008, when it should have been Hillary and you needed right. more time as a fucking senator, but oh, I was getting angry. I really think the world would have been a better place if we had Hillary for six, uh, eight years and then Obama for eight. Thus, it was because she was never going to win after him, but he could have won after her. Huh. And I feel like that's interesting. I feel like he just shouldn't have been so damn popular. It's his fault, but I, I love, I do love him. And I, and he wrote an article. I feel like he started to let his feminism fly as he was already out of like the last year in office, year mm -hmm. eight. Cause then he wrote an article for, I think teen Vogue or something like that. That was like, I'm a feminist. And I was like, pass the ERA. Somebody told me you could just pass it with the swipe <laughs> yeah, the of a ERA pen. The ERA is so crazy That's, that, that that hasn't been passed yet. It's just sort of mind boggling that it took 176 years. I believe that's the right number. For women to get the vote after the United States was formed, one seven six, for women to get the vote. And I remember I, I just heard that on the way over in, in Saudi Arabia, it took only seventy years, and yeah. they can't drive. But the ERA, I oh, don't they think... just let them drive like a few months ago. Don't get your pants. Well, they're awful foot. drivers, you know, girls. Yeah. Well, that's what they were trying well, to protect especially people. Especially when you're wearing a hijab. I mean, how, you can't see anything. <laughs> but your skin, you don't get those. <laughs> 
those sunburns. Those Excellent, for beautiful. Your skin. Mm. So I was, yeah, I was thinking about that. The ERA Equal Rights Amendment, which really all it says is women are protected under the Constitution as being equal. Right. Although I feel like I'm so jaded now. I'm like, yeah, pass it, but they're still going to ignore it. Right. I mean, they're ignoring Roe v. Wade, it seems. And the thing that's really weird also is that a bunch of women always show up to complain about it. Like, well, we don't need the ERA. I mean, there's always the women's group that doesn't want it. And that's what I loved about your voting chapter. Yeah, it was really annoying to find that out. There were women going, well, you don't need the vote. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's the women who voted for Trump. That's right. who they are. And and they those, keep... you know, the, it just dawned on me recently that, that now that we know they're crowd controlling his, his rallies, they're moving people and <laughs> yeah, back. we saw it. So that's what those women for Trump are, is that they put them behind him with a sign. But they're yeah. still, the women for Trump, I figured it out. Oh, these I love all, <laughs> These are all like white, mostly evangelical women who've been told their entire life that A, God's a man, and that their God sees them as lesser because they're a woman. Right. And then that's also a doctrine that's like been, you know, pushed by their husbands, by their fathers, by every man they know. And so if they've ingrained that their creator sees them as lesser, they're not going to act like anything else. You know, they're going yeah. to think that women who want equal rights are irrational because women inherently aren't the same as men because God said so. So if they believe this, yeah, then you can't convince them otherwise. No, it's you like have telling to... them God's not real or something. Yeah, you'd have to get them to change their God. Right. Which <laughs> By the way, you know, do. they actually, um, when you go back to, I believe it was ancient Greece, but that they used to say women were the same as men, but women had all the parts in the wrong place. There's one in gender. The wrong place. There was just yeah. one gender, and mm-hmm. it was men. Yes. And then women had an internal penis, is what they felt. And oh. they came up with all of this be- sure. without doing any autopsies on women. They did autopsies on men and on like monkeys. Needed to torture monkeys and uh, and I believe horses. Where did it like? Who was the first sexist? Like, where did that begin? Though? Well, because you would think the people that could give birth. I have that answer. Oh, you do. Would be revered. <laughs> Yeah. The, well, the answer that I came, uh, I've seen two or three times. The first one is 3500 BC. Uh-huh. Some creep named Eureka, King Urukajina, who in uh, some place called Lagash. And he was the first person to come up with, um, he had the reforms of Urukajina, and he came, uh, he was the first person to have gender specific laws that mm. adultery, a crime, only could be committed by women. Oh, got it. Yeah. So that was the beginning of official sexism on the books. Right. Like, like a court, court mandated sexism. sexism. (laughs) But where did you get the idea? Where did the thought? Well, you know, the, um, the thought I think that we really tracks back to has to do with, um, lineage, tracing lineage. They used to trace lineage through the mother. Because, you know, when you see a baby coming out between a woman's legs, you get the feeling they're related. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's her kid. And then at some point, men decided that they wanted to trace the lineage through the father, which becomes an intrinsic problem because how do you know who the father is unless you are uh, spying on the woman all the time and then she's your property and you own her? Aha. Uh-huh. That's where it will. So it really, it really came from woman's power. It came from uh, guys wanting to build empires. Yeah. They needed to know who, who and what they were siring, and you could only tell, in fact, in some cases, of things I read, they would kill the firstborn because they didn't know who who the father was, and then the nextborn would be yours. That's right, where women became know. property. Oh man, 
that's it's just as creepy as can be. They used to have um, trace all lineage through mothers. The Jewish religion still does that. Not that it, the Jewish religion doesn't have plenty, plenty of its own sexism. <laughs> well, that's it's funny. I was when I was but, listening to the and, and I'm saying this on on Yom Kippur. I know which is, people. <laughs> um, Hold, please, because we have to wrap up within the next few minutes. But I, I'm not checking my text. I'm trying to look at the time on my phone, and I can't remember. Oh, you're my, looking at your Instagram. I can't remember. I, I don't even think I get reception. She's here. tweeting about what cunts we are. I'm just like, oh my god, these fucking cunts. They're just like blah blah women. Um, I'm kidding. Um, but I, when in college. The trick to getting free food was to go to the Hare Krishna Center in Kenmore Square in Boston, and you would get whatever, just a meal, and you'd have to kind of sit and watch a service, but that's fine. And then I was like, these people are so great, and they're so peaceful, and blah, blah. And then you realize that they made the women do separate things. And I was like, but it's the 90s, and these guys are in their 20s. And you're like, oh, my God. Like, that. everything that I was trying to enjoy was was sexist. somehow tainted? Yeah, and even that you were saying about you're like India, land of yoga. <laughs> right, and, and that's the thing. I we have a chapter on religion, and that was wh- where one of the things I really wanted to talk about because I, at some point I was going to try to sell a piece to someone I didn't know who, but I started researching how every religion feels about women, and every single religion. All of them, except for some, maybe I think the Wiccans are okay. I'm not sure, but I feel like Wiccans are only women. Maybe or, I don't know. Oh, yeah, every yeah. other and male re- allies or whatever. <laughs> every other religion has horrible things to say about women. Oh, Hateful, sure. horrible things to say, including Buddhists. The lovely and wonderful Buddhists <laughs> felt that that a woman couldn't be uh, enlightened unless she came back as a man. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty fucked when you actually look at it and you realize, actually, in the grand scheme of things, Scientology is a little more uh, egalitarian than... Wow. In that, like, you know, the last thing, the ultimate form you can get as a Scientologist is Thetan, which is genderless. But then also Scientology is sexist because, like, you know, L. Ron Hubbard kicked his ex-wife in the stomach trying to get her to miscarious kid and maybe they he make thought a lot of women like a have soccer ball and, stuff. and he was trying to have fun yeah that's true and they they hate gays he and got all that, that from yeah. nero nero kicked his wife in the stomach because she wanted to spend more time with him and i was thinking what did she want to spend more time with him <laughs> oh for? my god well <laughs> maybe if they overturn roe v wade that will be the new birth control oh, it's just like just you know it occurs to me why when i was driving over here today it occurred to me why um our friend Professor Ford wants the FBI investigation because that's the only way that it's not going to be he said, she said. Right. Because otherwise, and they don't want it because, you know, you can't technically it's lie to the FBI. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't lie to the FBI. So technically we can say like, she must be telling the truth because she said to the FBI and he can commit perjury by lying to the FBI, but they don't want, yeah. Cause I recently just watched on Rachel Maddow. She was rebroadcasting um, Anita Hill. And it just about made me cry. I didn't realize Joe Biden. There's the other mm-hmm. thing. I loved Joe Biden so much, and I didn't realize that he was like, I don't believe you, and I don't this. And the unforgivable shit. And now he's just like me and Lady Gaga teaming up right. for women's stuff. Here's and I'm a like, selfie of me and a child. And I'm like, right. you know what? I'm so glad he's evolved, but why can't you get on a microphone and say, hey, I once did this, and now I'm this? Why? Why? Right. Well, you know, even if I hate Brett Kavanaugh, but if he did that, that would at least give some credence to something. Well, I know. It's so obvious that that's how he saw women and always does. It's like mm-hmm. maybe he didn't actually harass anyone else after that. I'm sure maybe he did. But it well, shows he, what he thinks of women. They, um, 
they came up with a, about like three or four speeches this morning where he's saying things like what goes on in whatever school he went to stays in whatever school. Oh, right. Was. He said that worked out well for us. That was his quote. Yeah. So he, yeah. So with this book, like, obviously you have 12 chapters. It's not over. Do you mm-hmm. feel like this could be a thing you do again, part two, and then talk about things that are going on and where that came from. There's an infinite number of yeah. chapters we can really have. <laughs> they like really even were. focusing it down to 12 was f- fucking difficult. We didn't hell. do sports. Uh, we oh, we right. kept thinking of all sorts of things we didn't do. That's... You'll have to do part two. Hey, can we talk to Audible crossed. about this? No, are this they just came out yesterday. But that, this is, <laughs> jump on it. This is the time. Because I think, yeah, you could do part two, sports and... Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of other areas. So what was that other one? I, I don't know. I, I was making a list of them for a while and then... Space travel. You have science. <laughs> you have science in there? Yeah. Science, yeah. I can't uh, wait to business that is the other, uh, Business, yeah. Oh, business, yeah. Oh, God. You guys, I'm so impressed. And thank you for coming. I could talk to you forever. Uh, thank you for mentioning Breck in the hair uh, <laughs> chapter. I drank a bottle of that when I was a kid. I drank a bottle of it? I, I dare... Or? No, I was like three, and I my mom kept her shampoo under the sink, and I opened it, and I went, ooh, and it looked just so gooey and yummy, and I just drank it, and then my mom found, came and got me. I mean, she was like on the phone and just had her back to me, so it was like a real quick thing you do as a kid, and then she turned around and was like, no, and we just uh, she called the poison hotline, and they said, give her milk. I don't know. But can you Nothing imagine happened. the amount of more versions of that there must be now when they everything smells like food? I mean, they. I went by mm. a tray of soap for sale yesterday at Ralph's. That yeah. was everything looked like a piece of cake. And- I've done that <laughs> when I'm not wearing my glasses. There's a little cute little soap store in Brooklyn. I walked by it and I was like, oh, cupcakes, and then I <laughs> I went all the way in and then had to turn around. So, but I'm just. This is why I need a male escort everywhere I go. Yeah, Indeed. yeah. As Which guys- they had in Rome. Well, I would like, I mean, I'm going to need one as, you know, as I get older and more fragile. Um, but anyway, <laughs> gals. Yeah, because guys don't get older and more fragile. They're just there to they help. They get more virile. Well, I actually. need a young one, like a young, I'd never heard this term walker. I'm not the metal thing that you put in front of you, but a gay, it's a young gay man that uh, goes with you to the ballet after your husband dies. Like That's called you, a walker? It's called a walker. So you see all these... I thought that was called a gigolo. because <laughs> no, he doesn't have sex with you. You see all these women in New York walking around like a younger gay man. It's like their permanent date. You know, like huh. we go to the ballet together and they come over and help me with things. And so that then they great. pay for both tickets probably. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, this is completely <laughs> bought and sold. They have, Yeah. So I'm just looking forward to that age when I can buy and sell humans. Anyway. There we go. You male, male, male chattel. Male chattel. You guys have been great. Please listen to the indignities of being a woman on Audible. How can people find you? Would you like to promote or plug anything? We're plugging this. We're plugging this. This came out yesterday. What's your Twitters? At Born Feral is me. And mine, I don't know how I picked this one, is at Meryl Marco. Okay, great. Everyone follow them. And this episode will come out next Tuesday. I apologize that it's not coming out today. Oh, don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> it's Yom Kippur. It would be against the law of the Jews for it to come out today. <laughs> my, my, uh, my episode came out uh, that I recorded last week came out today. So I had to be selfish and, and not rush this one. So anyway, right. thanks, gals, for being here. Well, You're, thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Um, see you next time. All right. Oh, no. Until next week, have fun. That's my sign-off. I forgot what it was. <laughs>